Holy Spirit, the one we refer to as the the mystery, all-knowing God. We know you're here. We acknowledge your presence. We place ourselves under your rule and your reign. We remove ourselves from the center of our own story, from the center of the universe. We place you in your rightful place. Rightly, directly in the center of our lives, in the center of this church, in the center of Mercer Island, and in the center of Seattle. How we long to see your name be the name that people turn to for the greatest hope in a great time of uncertainty when there's so much spinning around and so much unknown coming our way. We simply stop in this space and in this place and just ask you to enter in to the chaos and the brokenness in Seattle. How we long to see your heart revealed to the city of Seattle, for people to be restored and brought back into right relationship with you, for broken systems to come back into right relationship with one another and with those who are in the margins of society. Help us to be a people, Jesus, who are marked by your goodness and by these beatitudes that we have chosen to work through this summer, that these announcements that were given to people, spoken over to people who are already in these vulnerable places, help us to see what we need to see this morning and to acknowledge that you are here. Teach us, Holy Spirit, and lead us Challenge us, make us uncomfortable. And we choose to submit ourselves to you now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, good to see you all, and it's good to be with you this morning. I want to start by asking you all a question, and I want you to blurt out your answers out loud, nice and loud for everybody to hear, okay? So the question is, is based on your understanding of when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, And as Jesus moves out into the world and starts calling people to come follow him, what kinds of people were the most attracted to the message of Jesus? Name them. Outcasts, poor, poor, fishermen, broken broken people, children, Children. yeah. The sick, sick. yep. The The obvious sinners, who said that? (laughs) Thank you. Are you one of them? (laughs) You're in a, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're in a safe space. If you're an obvious sinner, then you're looking at one too. So welcome. Anything else that comes to mind? People that were just drawn to Jesus by the masses. Yeah, children. And what what I'm hearing is when you read through the gospels, and I think it's really important to keep it in mind as we work through the Beatitudes, the kinds of people that were drawn to Jesus, and we shouldn't, be, we shouldn't be surprised when they actually start showing up, the broken, the, the sick. There were those who were possessed with evil spirits who were drawn to Jesus. Jesus was doing all kinds of things that you weren't supposed to do. And when Jesus, in his central message, he said, the kingdom of God is here. In the Gospel of Matthew, the one that we've been working through, he referred to it as the kingdom of heaven. 
Those are interchangeable terms. They mean the same thing, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. I had said last week that when you see that, you can insert in there the reign of God or how things are supposed to be on the earth when God is king, when he's in his rightful place. This is how things look. This is how things operate. So when you see kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, insert the reign of God, the rule of God, or I said possibly the culture of God. And when we think about culture, we think about the way in which we behave towards one another, the way that we are, things that we do just based on our second nature. It's like we don't even think about the things that we do. It's just part of our culture. It's part of who we are. Imagine being a community of people who live under the culture of God, that radical forgiveness and generosity and um, mercy and mild and meek people are the ones who find their way into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus keeps reminding us over and over again. And so when Jesus made this announcement in the Gospel of Matthew, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. He then went out and did what right after that? What did he do after he made his announcement? Anybody? He what? He described it. Yeah. But what, like what else did he do? He walked it out and he started calling people to what? Follow him, right? It's really simple. It's right there in the message. So Jesus moves out after he makes his announcement and then he starts inviting people to follow him. That's what a disciple is, somebody who follows Jesus. That's the kind of the definition of what a disciple looks like. And who were the first people that he called? Fishermen. Fishermen in this time in culture and history were unimportant people. Um, these aren't the kinds of people that anybody was listening to in terms of status and in terms of power, in terms of like what should we do as an organization. Fishermen were just fishermen. So nobody was going to fishermen to get their ideas, that the unimportant, the people pushed out in the margins, the people that were easy to pass by. These were the people that Jesus went to and says, I want you to follow me. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, he's got like four people four fishermen that start following him. But then we've got all these other people who are starting to follow Jesus. So large quantities of people that you all had mentioned before. And it's really important when we're working through a teaching like the Beatitudes to keep in mind the kinds of people that Jesus is calling to himself. People like day laborers. Imagine that. Day laborers. Disinherited people. People that didn't have rights. People that didn't have land. People that didn't have access to water. Like if you think about how important it was to be a Roman citizen. So to be declared a Roman citizen meant that you had certain rights given to you. Roman citizens had access to water. It was Rome who, who brought in all of these aqueducts into the city. And so people had access to water. Imagine how that would change a community to have access to clean water. Things that we don't think about but to have access to clean water, that changes everything. It changes life. And so as a Roman citizen, you were declared something great and you prospered under this whole system. But then you had a whole group of people who were on the outside of this system where things weren't working for them. They didn't have access to the kinds of things that a Roman citizen would have. And so Jesus, as he goes out and he says, hey, the good news is here. The kingdom of God has arrived. What kinds of people were attracted to the message of Jesus? Day laborers, disinherited people, people who are like, we don't have access to the kinds of things that a Roman citizen has. And so all these people are flocking to Jesus. And it says in Matthew chapter four, large crowds from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and the region across the Jordan followed him. So we've got four fishermen 
who started following Jesus and then a large quantity of people who started to follow Jesus. And then Jesus goes up on this hillside like a total Moses move. He goes up on a hillside and he starts to teach what the kingdom of heaven was about. So he starts to proclaim it. And you'll notice that when Jesus, whenever he proclaimed the kingdom of heaven is here, he then followed it up with demonstration. Somebody said what, the way in which Jesus acts. So he always demonstrated it. So he proclaims it and he demonstrates it. We have lots of proclamation in the church today, but not a lot of demonstration. So we're really good at the proclamation part. Here's what's real, but then the demonstration part is what Jesus, this is what it actually looks like when the kingdom of God is present. And then in Matthew chapter five, in the beginning of the Beatitudes, it says that uh, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down his disciples came to him and he began to teach them and he said, all right, who are the disciples? Is it only four at this point? According to the Gospel of Matthew, it's only four. And yet at the same time, there's all these other people following him. What is a disciple? A follower of Jesus. How many people are following Jesus at this point? We have no idea, right? Just a large quantity of people are following Jesus. So he sat down and he began to teach them. So our minds have got to shift from Jesus sat down and he just started talking to 12 guys. Uh-uh. Jesus sat down and he started talking to a large quantity of disinherited people, people on the outside of any, port or any position of power or a position of authority. Nobody was listening to these people and then Jesus makes this announcement, like we said last week, and it's a grand announcement in which he says, this isn't something that you just can conjure up and become. These are the kinds of people that are actually going to resonate and dig what I have to say. They're gonna be like, what this guy's talking about? I'm all in for that. And check out the message of Jesus. And will you read this with me out loud? You ready? Let's say these together. We're working them through. We're trying to get them into our bones and into our hearts. So let's do it. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And this, my friends, is the good news, right? Are you, are you hearing it? It's the good news. Now, as Americans, we read this and go, I'm not sure this is good news. But this is good news, according to Jesus. 
and we're about Jesus. So when we hear the good news of Jesus, those of us as his followers are going, whoo, I'm all in on that action. I want whatever that is, however, whatever it means to be a human being, I want that kind of thing. Now imagine an entire group of people who have been pushed out, disinherited, they're told they're not important, that what you say doesn't matter. Imagine what they would have been feeling when they heard that, right? They would think, this guy is gonna make a mess of things. This guy is gonna shake up the whole system. Rome is not gonna like what this guy is all about and what he is saying, but my goodness, we are all in with that. That actually sounds like good news. That sounds like good news for those of us who are pushed out and have never been told that our voice matters, that our opinion matters, that our ideas matter, that we matter as people. We're the ones who have been pushed out. Now imagine, in the Jewish psyche, you have been told a certain message for years and years and years, and you think about your upbringing, those of you who have grown up in this thing that we call church, and the things that you have heard for years and years and years, that God's blessing, God's favor, God's presence isn't for you, and that's why you're suffering. Imagine what that would do to you. The reason why you're poor or the reason why you are where you are is because you've done something wrong. So there was this teaching one time, I was listening to uh, Pastor Tim Keller. Some of you have heard of Pastor Tim Keller. He's like, I call him a walking commentary. He's just like, I don't know, what does Tim say? We'll go to Tim and we'll check it out. But he had this little saying and he says, what we've done with the message of Jesus is we've turned things around and we said, obedience to God, which is a good thing, actually leads to the blessing of God. So if we're obedient, if we hold up our end of the deal, God's got to hold up his end of the deal and he's got to bless us. And that is so anti-gospel. That's not how it works. Actually, what happens is, is God just blesses us regardless of where we're at and the position we find ourselves in. And because he blesses us and declares us as his own, what that does is it motivates us to actually want to be obedient. And there's a huge significant difference between the two. You guys are hearing me, right? So it's not... Obedience leads to God's favor, God's blessing, God's oversight of you. It's God's oversight of you, God's blessing, God's favor is given to you regardless of who you are, even if you're an obvious sinner like Shar. <laughs> right? Even if you're one of those, one of those obvious sinners, I mean, like, clearly, you're an obvious sinner. And like I said, you're looking at one too. So it's okay. Even us. It's good news for even us. We're gonna be okay. But imagine... God declares something over you even before you've done anything and he says, you are blessed. You're just blessed. What that does to your psyche, what that does to your being and what Jesus does in the Beatitudes is so like counterintuitive. He turns everything upside down and he makes these announcements like blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are the peacemakers and blessed are those who mourn. But then he switches it and he, and he gives us this surprise. For those, these people, they get the kingdom of heaven. You're like, What? The poor in spirit get the king in heaven? Yeah. And the ones who are mourning, I mean, they're like really, really, really sad over the state of the world and over relationships and over all the conflict. Those are the ones that are gonna be comforted. And if you've ever mourned, if you have felt deep, deep mourning over loss or over brokenness, 
you understand what that means because God somehow enters into that space of mourning and fills you in a way that nothing else can fill you. That's the promise. So Jesus makes all of these announcements and then what he does is he gives this grand surprise at the end of his announcement. Now, in the Jewish psyche, there's kind of this this other message that's going on that obedience actually leads to blessing. And imagine how much anxiety that would bring up for you if that's what you believed. Like, nobody in this room believes that, right? That somehow it's my obedience that's going to earn God's favor and blessing on my life. So if I'm not obedient, it's the reason why I'm suffering. But imagine what that does to you as you approach the God of the universe and think it's all about something that I have to do. I think what that does is it increases this thing called anxiety to come up in us. And then we don't really know where we stand with God. So we're walking through life going, I'm not really sure where I stand and I'm not sure if he's pleased with me or if he loves me, I'm not really sure. And so it brings up all of this weird stuff and we, st- we start to see God like a transactional mode of thinking. God, somehow we enter into a transactional relationship with God. But Jesus turns the tables on us and starts making these grand announcements and he starts giving us this grand surprise at the end of these monumental statements. There was a, a man by the name of Jesus Ben Sarah who uh, lived 150 years before Jesus, the one that we see in the story, and he was a Jewish teacher, an influencer, and he had what are called uh, like these nine announcements, this Jesus Ben Sarah. And he gave these nine announcements, and he said, these are the ones who are blessed. Listen to what he said. This is, again, in the psyche of people. Blessed is the man who can rejoice in his children. And you're like, check, yup. Blessed is the man who lives to see the downfall of his foes. All right, yeah, we're getting a little uncomfortable in the room. Blessed is the one who does not sin with their tongue. Huh. That sounds like Old Testament. I've seen some other stuff. Some other people have written about the danger of the tongue. I think a person named James had something to say about that. Blessed is the one who doesn't serve an inferior. Hmm. Blessed is the one who finds a friend. Check, that sounds good. Blessed is the one who speaks to an attentive listener. (laughs) Greatest is the one who finds wisdom. And none is superior to the one who fears the Lord. Okay, let's break this down for a moment. If people think you're important and they wanna listen to you, guess what? According to Jesus Ben Sirah, you're blessed. That's a good thing. People actually want to listen to you talk? I think so. Sometimes, as I'm looking at you, I'm thinking, are, are you people listening to me at the moment? Half and half. Kind of some of you check out. I know, I know how it goes. Um, but if people actually want to listen to you according to this teaching, you're blessed. And many of us would agree with that. And we would say, there are certain people that people want to listen to, and what would we say about those people? What, what kind of words do we use when somebody wants to listen to somebody else talk? What? There's interest, yeah, you're blessed. Charismatic, yeah, they're charismatic for sure. What else? Funny. They're funny, yes. Dave? 
One, whoa, okay, that's a little personal. <laughs> All right, Dave, what else? They have something worth saying, yeah. They're inspired. We might, even, we might even use the language, oh, God's favor is on that person. And then we get this weird language that we use as Christians, and we say, that person has the anointing. Have you heard this before? They have an anointing on them, and we're not quite sure what that means, but we say it. And we're like, well, that person has an anointing, therefore this person doesn't, because people actually want to listen to this person, because what they're saying has value and worth. How about this? According to Jesus Ben Sirah, you are blessed when you do not serve an inferior. Whew. Does that sound like Jesus? The one we know? Okay. You're up here for a reason. You don't need to come down and serve somebody who's below you. In fact, you will know that God is with you when you don't have to do that. Now, in Roman culture, that's how it worked. And in American culture, that's how it works. That's the machine that we find ourselves in. And if you fear the Lord, no one will be superior to you. And to all the winners in the room, are we like, yes, right? No one will ever be superior to me. This all sounds great. It all sounds familiar. And in certain, certain religious groups, this sounds like favor. This sounds like God's blessing, let me ask you this. How many of you, the last time you were at a family gathering, last time you were at a large gathering, somebody asked you to pray? Anybody? Josh is the only one in the room? Okay, a few of you, right? But isn't that kind of like, isn't that kind of a sign of favor a little bit? I'm a pastor. Guess how many times I get asked to pray at everything I go to? You're laughing because you know it's true oh, we should ask the pastor to pray because I have somehow, I have a direct line to God that the rest of you don't have. But everybody defers to the experts, everybody defers to, and so that can play into your psyche as a fellow follower of Jesus. You can start to say, well, yeah, I carry some sort of authority and favor. And you can start to believe your own press and you can go insane. All those things, you gotta keep them in check. But blessed are you when you don't have to come down to other people's level when they ask you to pray and no one else to pray. Do you see how easy it is to slip into the transactional mode? How quickly it gets into our own psyche? Imagine going through life referring to yourself as blessed because you're winning in life. Imagine that. Got a job, steady income, food, clean water, a roof over your head, paychecks keep coming in, you're relatively healthy. Are you blessed? Does that idea of blessed align with Jesus' idea of a blessed life? When I look into the Beatitudes, and what's the first Beatitude? Can somebody tell me what the first Beatitude is? Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right, the poor in spirit. What is he talking about? Who are the poor in spirit? Who are the people that are following Jesus? The disinherited, the day laborer, those who are in an economic position of humility and lowliness, they don't have the same social status as others have. Could Jesus be talking about them? I mean, think about the audience that he's talking to. Yeah. I've heard some scholars say, well, what Jesus is talking about here is those who are spiritually poor, those who've reached the end of their rope, those who realize I can't do this on my own, I need God's mercy and I need God's favor. 
Could those be the people that Jesus is talking to? Yes. So why can't it be both? Why do we have to separate it? Could it be those in a lowly economic position and those who are so desperate, they realize they can't do it on their own anymore and so they submit to Jesus and they give their lives to Jesus as Lord because they're like, I can't do this on my own. I need something bigger than me, greater than me, stronger than me. I need someone to save me, to rescue me. So I'm poor in spirit. And if you're in that position, if you're in a lowly position or you're in a position of desperation, guess what you are? You're blessed. You're blessed. Is that something you can sign up for? You're like, yeah, count me in. I wanna be in that position. In fact, I would take it so far to say that if you are in that position of being poor in spirit, you are in the most favorable position to be in. Welcome to the kingdom of heaven. Congratulations, you're in. When you're blessed, you're blessed because you find yourself at the end of your rope, You're blessed because you have run out of resources. You're blessed because you can no longer impress people. People don't want to listen to you anymore. You're blessed. You don't matter anymore. You've been pushed out. You're blessed. That's the message of Jesus. Can you imagine if Jesus Christ ran for president of the United States? And that was the message that he gave? Here's what I want for the country of the United States of America. I want us to be poor in spirit. I want us to be merciful. I want us to mourn. I want us to be peacemakers. You're like, can't vote for this guy, right? But that's the message of the kingdom of God. That's why it's so provocative. That's Jesus' politic. It affects everything. He says, this is what I'm about. I'm about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And I've come for the poor in spirit. What about this one? What's the second beatitude? Anybody? Blessed are those who mourn. For what? They will be comforted. Have you ever mourned before? Like deep mourning? The promise is is that those who mourn, they will find comfort. Imagine moving through life, mourning over the state of our country, over the brokenness of relationships. Imagine moving through life with such a deep mourning that you're like, I can't, I can't sleep at night because I'm so brokenhearted over the chaos that I see in the city of Seattle. And I want comfort to come for these people. I want grace to come for these people. Have you noticed that it's those people who are in the most humble positions in life, the people who are the most desperate tend to be the most open-minded people that you ever meet. That they're the ones who are humble and full of grace and mercy. Could you imagine being that kind of a person that when you're mourning, you've created space inside of your heart and soul for God to move into that space. It's like you're aligning yourself with the very spirit of God. And what about the third beatitude? Does anybody know what it is? Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those, what's the next one? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you, does anybody in the room have broken relationships? A few, one, just Josh? Okay, Josh and Shar. Yeah, obviously Shar, (laughs) right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst to put relationships back into the right 
Imagine being the kinds of people who hunger and thirst to see relationships restored. I have broken relationships. I've been on the receiving end of broken relationships. I'm tired of it. How about you? You ever wonder why, like, the promise that comes with that, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for it, for they will be filled. Maybe that's why we're not filled, because we have these broken relationships and we know it, and yet, instead of remaining in indifference or instead of just giving up, we're like, I don't know what to do with this relationship, God, so I, I yield it to you and I surrender it to you and I ask that you would restore it. I don't know how to do it. Would you show me your mercy? Imagine being the kind of person moving through life where you say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for mercy. Mercy is giving forgiveness and compassion when you have the power and the authority to wield payment over another person, but you don't do it. Instead, you give them compassion and care. Everybody in this room has this thing called lists that you carry around, right? You have these things called lists that you pull out of your pocket and you read through them occasionally and you remind people, uh, I have this against you, I have this against you, and I have this against you. Well, that happened 20 years ago, I know but it's still on my list. Have you ever been in a dinner party and somebody's talking about something, some kind of grievance they have against another family member and you could swear that it happened two weeks ago, but then you realize that happened 20 years ago and we're still talking about it? Am I talking to anybody in the room? It happens. You're blessed when you hunger and you thirst to put relationships back into the right when you are so full of compassion and care and you are merciful that you extend that to people. I'm gonna stop there. I have more to say, but how about I just stop? And we'll sit with that and we'll see where Jesus takes us next week because I'm not sure. But I think I'm done, Jared. (laughs) That's a great way to land the plane right there. (laughs) Just like a kind of a sloppy landing.